Yeah, Vaughn? There, you got no duels. <laughs> you know what? It kind of looks like an Obduels, but no, it's not. It's well, now I'm saying that it's, it's leaded. A, yeah, it's a, it's an eight point two percenter. So that is not. That is definitely not no duels. Leaded. What's this your is, um, cho- you know, uh, uh, beverage of choice these days? I can't really tell what that is. I would describe my beverage of choice as non-discriminatory at the moment. But what is this one in particular? This is, I've been, I've been drinking a lot of IPAs. Yeah, sure. Juicy IPAs. As one does. Yep. And this is a Sierra Nevada. It's called the Atomic Torpedo. Mm. Juicy West Coast Dipa. D-I-P-A. I don't know what that, do you have any idea what that means? I mean, I obviously like, I know what IPAs is. I like to sink up with my pink torpedo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's all I think of when I hear the word torpedo. The amount of different places that make beer. And yeah. the packaging and the names and the, the range of alcohol content and the range of different flavors. It's almost more like the wine industry now, you know, right. except it's not stuck up its own ass. Well, uh, it, it sort know? of is. I mean, it's, I think it's getting it? there. But the, you're right about the sort of artistic nature of it, like the logos and the packaging like this, these little cubes of six packs and that have become quite chic and uh in the different names and, and all this for, and, and obviously there's a lot of limited time offerings and those type of things. I mean, it's a cool, it's a cool, uh, the craft beer industry has become pretty cool, pretty neat to sort of follow. And yeah, it's, it's definitely less of a, of a scene than the wine thing can be, you know, the wine thing can be kind of, kind of weird, you know, for sure. And, it, and I would imagine that every state prides itself on its local beers, and in Michigan, you know, we're pretty lucky. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of these places, but like Bell's is from Michigan's from Kalamazoo. And then you mm-hmm. have Founders from Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. So Arcadia is quite good. And, correct. Uh, and my personal favorite is North Peak. It's a, also a very good brewery. Yeah. 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 There's Arbor Brewing Company, which is the only good thing to ever come out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. So <laughs> like today's album, you know, you're thinking about local. Right. Yes. Oh, there. Yeah. They, 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 it's a, it's a good, it's a good tie in. Good tie in. We're getting, we're going to get very local. I think the first break piece of breaking news though, is because uh, we did announce a few episodes ago back when you had the vid, I have the vid. So how about that? Have or had? Well, I guess at this point had I tested, but you, you had the vid. Me. You've overcome yeah. the vid. Yeah. Yeah. I yes. had it. You feel a better man because of it. I feel antibodied. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I feel very well, antibodied. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so if I sound a little gravelly, mostly sexy, I think is the best way to describe it. But well, if I sound a little gravelly, it could be because three of the four people in my house right now have the vid. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so do I have it? I don't know. I I'm kind of so. pumped though. Cause I feel like everyone is just like in the mode now of just get it. And then just be just the best thing to do now is just get the damn thing, you know? Yes. So yeah, it is. I'm kind of pumped. Our whole house had it as well. So well, now you don't have to worry about it all summer. You know, you can just yeah. drink Michigan IPAs on your porch all summer and not have to worry about the vid or really anything else. Cause well, and, and celebrate you know. the Jayhawks. I think that's another thing we should probably just oh, give yeah. at least a little bit of a, uh, you know, tribute to, cause that was uh phenomenal. Yeah. Congratulations. I guess I just realized this is the first show we've done since then. It is. We recorded the Aerosmith episode just before. It was a beautiful thing. We were all rooting hard for you. And uh, how cool, man. You waited 14 years for another natty and you got it. Well, hey, you know, I'm sure it'll be 14 more until the next one, but we'll, <laughs> we'll enjoy it. I, um, I'm glad that you kick things off with, uh, you know, kind of the, the local beverage tie-in, but the important local beverage tie-in tonight is, uh, is Fago, more so than beer. You know, I thought about getting a Fago. Yeah. But the beer sounded better. Yeah. What, what, you know? um, what's your favorite Fago? If you had to pick one, I think, you know, red pop is such a classic. Yeah. Fago that and I, what is it? Just red. Like, is it, it's ambiguous. It's ambiguously it red. I think yeah. everything about Fago is fairly ambiguous unless they just like orange. I think it's just orange, right? Yeah. Fago Every, orange is definitely just orange rock and rye. Yeah. Moon mist. Yeah. Um, even that cream soda, not, not fully sure what's going on. It's really good. Um, a little too sweet for me. Is it? And then they got some weird um, blue pop. It's like a, what is it? Like blue marshmallow or something crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the local 7-Elevens here in Michigan, a few years ago, they struck up a deal with Fago. And now they have Fago flavors for their, uh, their signature Slurpee drink. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, so you can go into a Michigan 7-Eleven and get like, you know, a red pop flavored Slurpee. They're actually pretty good. I did. I did try that. We are going to talk a bit about local musical exports, which in the Detroit area have been um, interesting and a source of pride, I think, for for most, you know, I think for most. Um but also, you know, there are probably some elements to some of our local exports where you might get some differing opinion. And the ones that jump out the most, I mean, you can dig back and look at Iggy Pop and MC5 and some of that stuff. But more recently and, and more sort of mainstream, uh, I think you look at Kid Rock and you look at Madonna probably as the two that are uh, the most uh, sort of notorious. and. I think, I think you have to say the white stripes as well. Yeah, that's probably fair. I mean, they've, uh, you know, they've sort of, I don't know, relocated. It seems like, I guess there are always, he's mostly proud of his Detroit roots. I know they've kind of uprooted and become more of a Nashville operation with a lot of Jack white stuff, but, um, but yeah, you could probably include them too. And, um, it's an interesting, you know, some of the things that come out of the Detroit area, which is a, a, a complex um, part of the country. You know, if you look at the last several decades in terms of, um, you know, sort of culturally and sort of uh, the city versus the suburbs and, and trying to rebuild, 
you know, Detroit as a, you know, solid Midwest metropolitan area um, at times where that seemed unlikely. And, you know, times where we grew up where it wasn't really a town that you could really hang out or spend a lot of time. And some of that's gotten better. Um, but it's an interesting and, and somewhat complicated area of the state and in some ways area of the country. And I think anytime that that's the case, you're going to have some very interesting uh, artistic output. Tonight's group duo, I guess we call them, um, is certainly part of that intrigue and certainly has a lot of controversy and a lot of debate in terms of who they are and what they stand for and what they're trying to do. And, you know, is it a bit that has caught on or is it something that's serious or, I mean, there's so many ways to try and pick this apart and I think it'll be really fun to talk about, but the bottom line is, you know, these guys have figured out a way now for 30 years to be around, to be relevant, to establish a really loyal following and have done so without really compromising their mission as an act or as artists. You know, I think we can call them artists. And what we're going to look at tonight is probably their biggest attempt at something more mainstream and something more commercial. Um, the world was different and that'll be, uh, that'll be part of the theme, but also these guys are still doing what they do. And anytime you have a multi-decade career, as I've pointed out in many instances, you have to at the least respect it. So nubs, I think this will be fun to talk about. Yeah, I, I agree with all that, but you know, you, you also, it, it's sort of a pre M and M deal too because you must mention oh M&M i forgot well. about m&m yeah yeah. Okay. yeah exactly and so i think the part of the issue is that detroit's had so many musical exports most of them though have remained sort of underground and whether that's inherent in being a detroit-based act artistically and commercially you know that's one thing you could look at but you know the white stripes were the ones that exploded from the garage rock scene but there were other detroit-based acts that sort of were just as important locally. The White Stripes sort of had a gimmick that worked that allowed them to, you know, differentiate. But there's this other basis of, of garage rock bands that were vitally important. I kind of see ICP and Eminem's relationship the same way. I mean, Eminem had all of the, the ingredients to become this mainstream star. I mean, dude just performed in a halftime show at the Super Bowl, although he wasn't on as long as I wish he would have. And so he had that, that sort of, ability to explode in that way. ICP did not, but ICP still vital, instrumental part of the Detroit hip hop scene for the last 30 years. But, but tonight it's interesting because we'll talk about ICP's sort of short dabble with mainstream success, right? They, they, they touched it with the great Malenko, but didn't have what Eminem had just like, you know, the Von Bondi's touched mainstream success as well, but they didn't have what the white stripes had. So very few from Detroit have actually become huge superstars, but that doesn't take away from the fact that there's a lot of artists responsible for Detroit still being a a musical home that I I think we should be very proud to be from. Well, yeah. And, and that's all part of the story here. And certainly um, this is a very, very unique 
situation here with the, 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 the following and the sort of intra culture that has been carved out for fans and followers and juggalos as they are known. It's something that is a little bit unheralded in terms of really tight followings. This one doesn't get talked about a lot, but it is one that is extremely unique and probably will be a kick-ass good time to talk about. But first, let's go round and round. Nubs, what long play have you been enjoying? Give it to us. So I know that I, I, I got to check with the ethics uh, department of the show, but that sure as hell isn't me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who, who do I check with on that? <laughs> right. Um, but re- repeating round and round is something we occasionally do. And I'm going to, because I got to be honest, dude, I can't lie about what I've been listening to and what I've been listening to so much of late is the latest album from ghost. Yeah. I'm trying to get you to listen to it because you're going to like it so much. Yeah. I'll get on it. I'll get on it. It's called Impira. And uh, I, I've, I've sort of gone fully down the Tobias forge rabbit hole. I'm sort of obsessed with him right now in a very healthy way, but he's such a fascinating interview and his, his vision for ghost is, is sort of complex yet. So uh, simple. It's humorous, but it's also dead serious at the same time. I mean, there's just all these like things going on here, but it all comes down to the music and Impera is just a fantastic album. A couple other new ones uh, because, you know, it's still catching up on kind of the recent new release season, the new album from Mashuga immutable, excellent, excellent stuff here. Just math metal all the way. Super heavy. Been really enjoying that. And then another metal album, I guess, you know, just three sort of metal albums. I don't know. Tis the season, I guess. But uh, the new album, In the Court of the Dragon, from one of my favorite metal bands, Trivium, who I've never gotten to see live, but I look forward to hopefully sometime soon. I've been listening to that one as well. So three up, three down in terms of heavy metal. Nice. I'm loving it. T, what's running around for you, man? Although soon you will be shifting into your summer mode which it kind of takes you a little bit away from metal. So maybe this is like your ninth inning of metal before the uh, sun comes up, you know? Absolutely. Cause may is usually when the grateful dead albums get broken ah. out again and dusted off. Yes. I will. Yes. I would never listen to the dead aside from June through September. Hmm. They just announced a tour dead and company. I might go nice with the old John Mayer on guitar. Yeah. I mean, do you like that? That John Mayer thing? I mean, you're a pretty solid dead fan. So yeah, I like it a lot. It's, oh, good. Okay. He's he's such a good fit. Yeah, for him to to like make the Grateful Dead now his primary gig is yeah very credible. I mean, he's 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 a winner in my book now. I mean, he's it's pretty neat. I I kind of feel like he um he was always on a quest musically, like to figure out. You know, he sort of did the pop thing for a while, and then he burnt down on that, and then he did the blues thing, and then he did the trio thing. He seems like he's been a little bit of a searcher. And it almost like feels like he's found his home here doing this. And uh, there's something kind of neat about that. You know, he's, he's definitely kind of been an old soul. So I feel like it's a good fit. You know? I love the observation. It's also a hell of a business move by the Grateful Dead organization. Right. Because he could take this franchise forward. It's, it's kind of like what other legacy bands are doing. You know, if you create a new generation of musicians like Kansas, you know, their new singer 
he could perform as Kansas now for the next 30 years because yeah. he's a young guy and, and all the Kansas members, you know, eventually going to peace out. So it's smart to put these brands in the hand of younger musicians who can then carry on. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure if John Mayer wants to, he might become the, the Grateful Dead might be around for another hundred years. Yeah. Right. And he could be the next bridge to keeping it going. So yeah, what's, uh, what's spinning around for you too? Well, buddy, I don't really have anything uh, similar to tonight's uh, operation in any way, but uh, I start with the John Spencer blues explosion. I sure hope we get something new from these guys or that we can go see them live again. That that was one of the, that was one of the most fun concerts you and I have been to together. And uh, uh, so this is their record damage, which I think was kind of mid two thousands. And again, every Every uh, John Spencer blues explosion record is a bit of an experience and of itself damage was a little bit more polished and um, you know, it's good stuff. The second is from the great Lassie foundation. This is called face your fun. Again, every record from them is a little bit of its own animal as well. Fun to revisit. And the third is a little, little, little girl glam vixen from the eighties self-titled. Ah, yeah. Great record. Really, really is a great record. Edge of a broken heart. Edge of Broken Heart, crying. Crying was very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah great One of my early sort of, you know, girl guy things was definitely yeah. for the uh, chicks and Vixen. Man, they're yeah. hot. It's a great yeah. record. Great totally. joms. Uncut joms there. So here we go. This is going to be interesting. This is going to be a little different um, because these guys are a little different. But I think talking through what these guys are, what as you know, sort of locals, you know, kind of the, our thoughts and perceptions and these type of things are from a little bit of an outsider standpoint, I wouldn't say that we're, we're not juggalos, but we're not haters or, or critical of these guys necessarily. We're, and we have friends that are really into it, which has also been interesting. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit, but why don't we go ahead and, uh, and just dig in here with the nerdy dates. You want some dirty deeds? Yeah. All right. The Great Malenko was released on June 24th, 1997, sort of, on Hollywood Records, sort of. I say this because shortly after the release on Hollywood Records, which, remember, was owned by Disney, the pressings were recalled. And probably not a huge surprise, but the Southern Baptist Church Organization uh, got uh, quite upset with the release of this record. And it kind of came on the heels of a a lot of anger toward the Disney organization as a whole. Um, So I I don't think it was just uh, the great Malenko that caused this. I think it was kind of one more thing to pile on to this uh, religious organization, which basically within hours, of the album. In fact, ICP was doing a record store signing when they were notified that the album was getting pulled off the shelves. Shows you how much times have changed. Disney was already dealing with some... Have they? I mean, Disney (laughs) immersed in controversy over ethics and morals. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's actually pretty timely, pretty newsworthy at the moment. But Exactly. You know, Disney uh, at this time was already dealing with some issues. They were having... uh, They had announced that they were going to hold a gay day at Disneyland, which obviously sent a lot of people into a frenzy 
And also they were, um, they had just hired Ellen DeGeneres to have her own talk show. And of course you have a lot of these church organizations that had issues with that. So it was kind of on the heels of some things that the Disney corporation was already dealing with. And then you layer on top of that, that, you know, they basically through Hollywood records published the great Malenko and, and that, um, was sort of the straw in a lot of ways to get this organization of the Southern Baptist church rather pissed off. And of course, you know, the album shortly after it's released to be pulled, many stores refused to stop selling the record. So many dug in and said, screw you, we're going to keep distributing it. Uh, most notably nubs, a little operation called Harmony House, which was Michigan based sure and basically, <laughs> basically realized that they were going to miss out on uh, quite a bit of sales revenue by not offering the Insane Clown Posse album at Harmony House locations, which were scattered all over the state. And they basically said, screw you, we're going to keep distributing it. So, but it was pulled for the most part from many major retailers. And then it was reissued on August 12th, 1997 by Island Records, who obviously, you know, took on the band and took on the record and basically had more of a sort of anti-censorship position also timely and newsworthy just ask elon musk right uh as we find ourselves in in the midst of a, a very interesting debate on censorship and those type of things right now it was the band's fourth studio album 1994's ringmaster uh, which was the the album that came out before this really was the one that got them I would say that the start of kind of a big following and sort of a march towards the mainstream. I don't think these guys ever got fully mainstream. I don't think that's fair to say, but you know, this was the time period post ringmaster and pre great Malenko and even post great Malenko where they were certainly as close to that as, as you would ever see. And I think it was sort of the peak of that um, originally signing with jive records going to Hollywood and, and Hollywood records. And, and now of course being on Island records for the re-release. There's sort of two different angles that should be taught in college classrooms. There should be great Malenko 101 and great Malenko 102. And, mm-hmm. and it's got nothing to do with music. It's got everything to do with sort of business and decision-making. I mean, this whole thing happened really not only before social media, but sort of before connectivity. Mm-hmm. I mean, the internet was a sort of fledgling thing at the time. Disney would have never you know, not known about this. Now there would have been fake outrage all over social media. If Disney would have even signed Hollywood records via Disney would have signed ICP because there would have just been so much more awareness about it. Uh, Back then there wasn't this high level of like knowledge and awareness about every little thing that happens in the world. And therefore, you know, there's probably a press release about ICP signing with Hollywood records that came out months and months before any of this happened and nobody really cared. Nowadays, though, it would have taken seconds for there to be immediate, you know, uproar about it. And Disney would have pulled the plug way sooner than, you know, after the records were pressed. So that, that's one side of it. And then the other side of it is it's, it's yet another example of a group person or whatever becoming way, way, way more popular because of controversy. And in some cases, controversy and scandal, if you will, created by themselves. And in some cases, created by outside forces. You know, look at what's happening with Chris Rock's tour. You know, like sort of the day after the the slap heard around the world happened, (laughs) his ticket sales, you know, quadrupled and then some, and his ticket prices quadrupled and then some. 
wait till Will Smith's first movie, you know, after he comes back, it's going to be a huge, huge, huge deal because controversy built his brand, whether positive or negative. The Great Malenko is a perfect example of that. ICP was the big winner, really, of this whole debate. Because when the album was re-released on Island Records, the anticipation for it was way higher than it was for the initial Hollywood release. So it's almost like, thank you, Disney, you know, for trying to uh, have such a moral high ground that you actually made ICP much more popular. It's a great point. Um, and, you know, history sort of uh, foreshadows the future. And it's very peculiar when you look back and realize that a lot of these things that we think are new issues or new divisions or new debates have actually been going on for a long time and have examples. If you look backward that to your point may not have been on cable TV or on Twitter or any of these things, but you know, you, you lean on history to kind of learn about the future. And I think that, you know, to your exact point, there were takeaways here. Um, like most things that probably weren't assessed enough and weren't things that we learned from enough. And now we find ourselves repeating a lot of these same concepts, but it's, it's very interesting that, you know, in, in 1997, albeit an unusual and, and unique kind of album or, or piece of art in this case, um, was something that, that caused a lot of corporate friction and a lot of, uh, corporate entities trying to either show that this is not something they want to be affiliated with, or in the case of Jive Records saying, let's take the opportunity to show that we uh, want to give the finger to censorship and support these guys and provide them a vehicle to get their art out there. So, you know, some things never change, right? Now, this is a really long album. <laughs> this is this is 67 minutes, 16 tracks. And you've made the point a few times on here about the age of the CD era, the compact disc era. and. ICP, I think, did care very much about their fans. They did want to give their fans their money's worth, whether it was a show or whether it was a record, and seemed to always err on the side of more content. And it's not like there's a ton of filler. I mean, there's some stuff in here where you're getting into skits and bits and these things, but for the most part, it's music. You know, it debuted at number 63 on Billboard. It went platinum a year later in 1998. And as of today, it has sold 1.7 million copies. So, I mean, this is a commercial success, no matter how you add it up. Anytime you're going platinum and you're making that kind of a dent uh, on the Billboard charts, particularly not just a rap album, but a rather unique rap album that was hated by critics, which ICP was always hated by critics. Uh, there's still something to be said for the commercial success. And, and you, you know, there was a lot of promotion around this. There was certainly a push. This was back in the days when record labels, especially when you had the backing of uh, major conglomerates that own those labels, um, weren't afraid to invest and promote. And, and this record got quite a bit of that. So I, I think they could tell that they were onto something here in terms of really not, not necessarily finding an audience, but capitalizing with the audience that existed. One thing that, that must be said about ICP is how much they deeply have cared for their fans during their run and the connection between ICP and its fans is as strong a connection as anything I've seen in music. And yes, we have the advantage of being close to it, but ICP fans, juggalos are so passionate and they're so loyal 
you mix that with a a really strong I hate to even call it marketing, but you know, you got to mention the, the Joker cards. I mean, this is part of the whole deal here. But the Great Malenko was one of a, a series of albums that ICP called. Yeah, them. maybe you can explain the Dark Carnival concept. I, I I don't really understand it. So so maybe you can make sense of that. Every album was a card or something, or how, how did it how did it all work? Right. So I mean, I can't go <laughs> as deep as some can. You know, sh- we should have brought Peef on. You know, our yeah. loyal listener and good friend Peef. Yeah, he, he probably could yeah, have Peef. explained this whole thing. He's a big juggalo. Yeah. So there's. There were six Joker cards and the whole thing was meant to sort of tell a, a, a story, sort of a concept album kind of idea. There, there's all sorts of backstory to it. Like it's, it's like a dream or, you know, like I, I can't get into all of the, the, the storylines of it. Yeah. There's a lot of whimsicalness with this band. So, so there was something where on the last joker card or album like the world was going to end or something well yeah it's like it's like (laughs) heaven and hell stuff yeah yeah. you know like it's all yeah and and like it's it's a very heaven and hell good versus evil sort of deal that stretch across these six albums and the the classic icp canon is like carnival of carnage and the ringmaster riddle box so great malenko is one of these joker cards so along with all the controversy that went into the release and re-release and the Disney thing and blah, blah, blah. You know, one thing that's huge for ICP fans is that the great Malenko is part of this series of, I mean, quintessential is like an understatement for juggalos. I mean, this is it. This is like why you, why you sort of existed for ICP to the outside, more commercial world, maybe more like the you and I type of listeners. And we both bought this album. It was kind of a, it was an event. But for ICP fans, for Juggalos, this was really important because it was the continuation of the ICP Joker's cards. So, uh, you know, that, that's just an important thing to say. So, and that's a creative thing ICP did. I mean, sure, there's some business to it to, as well to build anticipation, but I wish know. I could say I understand it more after what you just said. <laughs> right, <laughs> let me overly simplify it's six concept albums making up a large concept about heaven and hell. And this was uh, number four or five in this series. Yeah, that must've been, that must've We'll leave four. it there. How about that? Yeah. All right. Good enough. Um, th- this was really a, a sort of exploration for the band of rap metal. And, and that was something that, you know, late nineties, um, obviously was, was coming into the, the forefront a little bit more. I wouldn't say that they necessarily jumped on the trend cause it's a, a bit of a unique, uh, brand of rap metal. Um, but certainly, you know, the, explored that we talked about the, when we did significant other by Limp Biscuit, which was around the same time period. Um, we talked a little bit about kind of this whole movement and, and I think it's, it's fair to say that this was a little bit of a contributor, albeit more on the. Uh, unique sort of rap side of it, but it definitely explored that rap metal um, direction. Um, so the guys are uh, Violent J and Shaggy Two Dope. Those are the dudes that, that make up the Insane Cloud Posse. Legs Diamond was basically a third member during the Great Malingo. He's a guitar player and uh, um, musician in the Detroit area who. Um, uh, he, he was a member of this band called Coup Detroit, which was kind of well-known within the circles. Violent J is a guy named Joseph Bruce. 
uh, Shaggy Too Dope. Uh, his name is uh, Joseph Utzler. Um, he's really into wrestling, as it turns out. So he, his passion, other than being in uh, in this rap group, has actually really been uh, promoting professional wrestling and being a part of it. And actually, was a co-founder of a of a league appropriately called Juggalo Championship Wrestling, which I think still exists to this day. Um, so, so these guys, you know, I mean, listen, they're not stupid. I mean, they've, they've created a, uh, a brand for themselves. They're always in makeup. I don't know if I've ever seen either of them without makeup. I'm sure you can find it at some point and are typically always in character to your point. Nub, these guys are extremely loyal to their fans, their crew of juggalos. And it's in a lot of ways, um, you know, sort of what, what you could term the, the forgotten man and woman um, across the country. It's, it's a very rural audience. It's a very uh, working class audience. You talk about kind of the silent majority and, and that type of a faction within the country. In a lot of ways, that's, you know, that's what makes up the juggalo fan base and sort of the juggalo attitude. And, and there is a culture to this. There is a meaning to this. You you have to dig a little bit and we'll we'll talk about some of that with the track by track, but this is not just joke rap and this is not just filth. I mean there there are concepts here that um that this group has always stood for. They're very anti-racist. They're very they were sort of doing inclusivity before it was cool. You know, they they there there are a lot of elements to this that have fairly deep meaning and you can just write off the juggalo mo- movement as something that is all about partying and all about rap and all about cracking jokes and these type of things. But there is a weird kind of depth to this that part of this process for me of kind of revisiting the album and revisiting the sort of mission of this group and the mission of the fan base is to realize that there sort of is more underneath the surface to why people feel a sense of belonging to this. Why? You know, some of the um, principles that ICP has always stood for in terms of violence or in terms of abuse or in terms of racism and these type of things. You know, it's sort of sometimes disguised under a unique uh, way of communicating it, but it's always been there and it's always been consistent and it's been part of their music. Um, so the the place where the, the juggalos, and we'll touch on this before we get to the wonder stories, tend, tend to gather on an annual basis is indeed the gathering of the juggalos. I think you have to talk about that for a second. This is sort of a Woodstock, if you will, for juggalos that has taken place every year since the year 2000. This started actually in Novi, Michigan, not far from us at the Expo Center in July of of 2000 with, you know, 7,000 people in attendance and there was wrestling and there was, you know, ICP performance and these type of things. And then it blew up and became this annual thing that has jumped around a little bit in terms of location, but it typically takes place in rural Ohio or in rural Illinois, um, more recently in, in Indiana. So it's this kind of Midwest, uh, event where you have all kinds of strange, uh, <laughs> attendees in terms of performance and in terms of, um, execution of art and these type of things. But, I got to say, Nub, this is kind of a bucket list one for me. I, I think that, and I don't know how much time we have left. Uh, I would assume we have probably at least a decade or so to do this, but I will, I will at some point attend this because 
it fascinates me, uh, the, the gathering and the, uh, camaraderie of it and the events that take place and the sort of overall vibe of it. You can go on YouTube and see videos of people that are covering it or visiting it. I don't know about you, man. I am fascinated by it and I'm committing right here today on episode 73 someday in the next, I'll say in the next 10 years, I will attend the gathering of juggalos. Will you go with me? That's I'm in man. I'm in. I don't know how I can top my uh, experience with ICP that we'll talk about wondrous stories, but you and I go into the gathering of the juggalos probably with Peef with us. Oh yeah. Uh, Has he been? He's seen him many times. I don't think he's been to that event, but he's gone to many shows. Well, we definitely have to take him. If nothing else, he can be like our, uh, our cred, he'll, he'll bring the street cred to our group, you know? He can rinse the Fago off of us yeah, after the he, show. Because he knows the songs. He knows the, he knows the whole thing. He's down with the whole thing. He could probably explain the uh, dark carnival concept much better than we could or did. But, uh, but yes, you heard it here first. We're going to attend that gathering one of these days. All right, let's get to the wonder stories, Nub. feeling you know i love talking about these sort of late 90s records because not only were we music connoisseurs at the time but you were working in a record store and i have a feeling that might be part of what you're about to talk about with us but go ahead with your insane clown posse wonder story nub let's hear it so it's summer of 1996 my very very first job was at this notorious record shop in the Detroit suburbs and uh, notorious because it was independently owned and it was a cool record store. Great first job. Really, really, really fun. It was the type of shop that like really was big with ICP. I mean, they sold everything ICP shirts and stickers and hats and just everything they were. And as it turns out, there was a good relationship between ICP and this shop. When the album was re-released, when The Great Malika was re-released by Island Records, the midnight sale that ICP was at was at our store. T, this was a huge, huge deal. Oh, yes. It was quite the day. I remember, you know, you knew it was going to be high demand and we knew we were going to be up all night. So I remember it was weird because it was like the first time I ever reported to work at like 7 p.m you know, got there and it was just this huge event. I mean, it was set up and, and what was going to happen was there was a line outside the door that would go all the way down the, you know, this, the sort of major road, if you will, that this shop was on. And in the middle of the store, we had set up this tent that the two guys, Violent J and Shaggy Two Dope were going to just sit in. And then people were going to go in this tent. They were going to meet the guys. They were going to get their autographs or whatever. And then they were going to get their copy of the Great Malenko. They were going to pay their $15.98. $15.98. And they were going to get out of there and go enjoy the album. And so everybody that came got their sort of 30 seconds with the two guys. Now, T, it was interesting because, you know, early in the night, we're sort of divvying out the jobs. And I was 16 years old and I had never really run the cash register. So I couldn't really do that. I was, I was a very low level employee at this record shop. So my job which turns out was the greatest job in the world (laughs) was to basically sit on a stool starting at midnight, right by the tent that 
Shaggy Two Dope and Violent J were in. And I would sort of be the last line of defense, if you will, just letting people, the next group go. So the manager, whoever was with ICP would kind of flag to me, hey, bring in the next group. I'd say, okay, four more. And then they go in. I did this tea from midnight until 8.30 a.m. That's the demand. The line was going all the way down the street. I've never seen anything like it. And for eight hours of my life, people would come in, they'd go in, they meet the guys, and they'd buy their album and they'd leave. And T, I have to say, it's probably the hardest I've ever laughed just across an eight-hour time. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny because the guys were so vulgar and hilarious, <laughs> funny, and and also really nice and outgoing too. Give us some, do you have any? Um... Oh, I well, kind of near, like somewhere near the end of the night as, as an employee, it was like, okay, I have the perk here. I'd like, I'm doing this. I'm going in this tent. It was like the guys are just warm all night. I mean, they, and, and they were so gracious too. They were so engaging with their fans, but they basically bring people in and just f- with them for 30 seconds, verbally abuse them. And then they leave. And the people would think it's the greatest thing ever. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to take my chance. And so really, I wanted to get you an autograph. I mean, that was my goal. It was like, I I really want to get T an autograph. Well, that's nice of you. That was what I was there to do. So eventually there was sort of enough break in the action for me to kind of signal to the managers like, hey, I'm I'm, I'm going to go, you know, because the other employees had gone in. They didn't know I was an employee, even though I'd sort of been outside the tent the whole night. And so I walk in and they immediately just started on me. Hey, mother. Didn't you? Hey, what's up, man? What's your name? Totally in character, right? Oh God, hundred percent. They said, "What's your name?" I said, "They said, oh, yeah, but you got a big, yeah, rah, rah, rah. you know." They're going back and forth with each other, and so, <laughs> you know, I had them do a signature for me, but then you know the key was to get one for you. So I said, uh, "And I really, you know, I really need one for uh, for my brother. His name's," and they go, "Oh." And this is Violent J. And he was so funny and so loud and so hilarious. And he goes, word for word, he goes, Hey, I once knew a girl named. You know what I did? I. And it's just a big uproar. Yeah. And then they signed your, your autograph and handed yeah. it to me. Yeah. And I left and <laughs> went on with the rest of my life. That was it. And that was my, my moment with ICP. But what what I remember even more than that was when the guys first walked in, you know, about 10 minutes before the on sale started, they walked in and they were in makeup, but I saw them out of character. I saw them engaging with the owner of the store and they were very serious, normal, they're businessmen, particularly violent Jay. I mean, he's the brains behind the whole operation. I mean, Shaggy Two Dope has sort of always just seemed to kind of go where he goes. Right. But, but Jay, I think is a very savvy, very smart guy who kind of had the vision for this whole thing. And I got to just get a little glimpse of them out of character, you know, and they were very gracious to the record store owner and they were talking a little business and things like that. And, and then they went into this tent and just immediately went into the character. But I, I will, you know, there's a lot about my 16th year on this planet that I don't remember. I remember almost every moment of that night. It was just such an extraordinary (laughs) experience and I'm so lucky I was able to have it. So it's my ICB Great Maliko Wonder story. That's too. great. I wish I still had that autograph. I have no idea where that autograph is now, but I, I I wish you did too. Yeah, you're welcome. I still have mine. I do. Oh, uh, nice, nice. But, uh, anyway, to your your Wonder story must be a little less up close, but but again, you were kind of the bigger ICP fan of the two of us. So 
Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't a huge fan, but I definitely, um, I was excited about the great Malenko mostly because, and this was a, this certainly happened a lot more back then than it does now, but they promoted the hell out of this record. And there was a television commercial on major TV. I mean, it was on MTV. It was on cable. It was, I think it was even on network TV. It was a 15 second spot that was promoting the great Malenko and they were playing halls of illusions and they obviously, you know, picked a good song to play, but it was like, Ooh, like this new ICP record might be good, you know? And those that had heard ringmaster, I mean, it was, it was a rap record, you know, and it was, um, you know, they, they, they have some cool kind of funk licks and those things. Chicken hunting was the song that first got me into ICP, not the heavy metal version, but the original version, which was kind of more sort of funky and cool. And so, you know, you kind of had this familiarity with them as a little bit of a joke rap operation, which actually kid rock was when he first started kid rock was a, you know, everyone thinks he's the like hard rock Southern fried guy. But when he first came on, he was like rapping about like, you know, people like taking poops, you know I mean? He, he was, it was a little bit of a novelty act, which is kind of funny now to think about. They've probably since destroyed all of Kid Rock's original work, you know, um, cause it would like screw up the image of what he is today. But, um, ICP a little bit similar, a little bit of a novelty act. Well, you know, when they started running this TV commercial playing Halls of Illusions and, 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 and promoting Great Malenko, it was like, okay, this sounds totally different in terms of production, in terms of sort of rap metal, you could hear the guitar influence and, and, and they knew what they were doing. And that certainly hooked me in. I was like, I can't wait to hear this song. I can't wait to hear this record. So a good example of something that's a bit of a lost promotional art, which is run 15 or 30 second spots promoting a specific album. I mean, there's no way you'd see that today. There's just no way. But at this time and with this band and with this particular album, and I'm sure that the Disney backing didn't hurt because this was before its release. Um, they certainly used a lot of media dollars pushing this, which was a really interesting part of the release of Great Malenko. I, you mentioned Peef. I do want to give him a shout out. Um, somebody that has helped me understand, even kind of coming into the process of doing this episode, that there is more to this ICP thing than just a bunch of people looking to kind of party or giggle or spray Fago on each other or whatever. The communal aspect of this, the sort of brotherhood and kinship aspect of this is really interesting. And, uh, you know, when we go to the gathering of the jugglers, which we are going to do, all right, we've committed. Now it's on paper, buddy. There's no backing out. Uh, we'll see it firsthand. But, uh, but it is interesting, you know, Peef's a very intelligent guy. Isn't that, you know, he's not some like idiot, right? Like, <laughs> and it's, and it, helped me to understand that there might be more to this. There might be some more depth to this. And the more I've dug into this more, the more I've learned that I don't know if I'm a full on juggalo numb to this point, but I think I definitely have a bit more of an understanding and, uh, Hey, maybe those that, you know, listen to this episode and we'll get through the track by track, uh, at this stage. But to this point, if nothing else, hopefully we've conveyed that, uh, while we are a little bit local homers, on these guys. Um, they're worth looking into. If nothing else, it's a fascinating uh, approach to how to develop a loyal fan base, 
how to keep something sustained over multiple decades, which as we all know is not easy in the music industry and how to really create a unique kinship and culture uh, within your fan base. So with that nub, what do you say we get to the record, buddy? Let's drop the needle. Are, you, are we going to talk about each track? <laughs> We're going to be here for days. You know? I yeah, I don't think we can, uh, but we'll, uh, we'll definitely give it a good, solid, thorough track by track as best we can. How about we get to it? All right, well, we'll uh, get through this one as... Uh, efficiently as we can like we mentioned it is a very long album and 16 tracks um so you know some more than others there uh, doris as far as how much time we spend but we will do a thorough walkthrough of the great malenko which starts after an intro with a nice voiceover from the great alice cooper one of the couple of celebrity sightings you have on this record we get into the first song track two title track Great Malingo. So it's kind of an, I mean, the first track is the intro, but this is sort of a post intro or part two intro, I would say. You know, you're you're definitely getting the concept, if you will, of the record here that it's based on a character. It's based on something as per usual with these guys is fairly whimsical. Um, and I think that this really just sets that up more than anything of it uh, of being more of an intro that kind of sets the tone of the thing. But it is hooky, you know, and I think when you compare this to the uh, the predecessors within the Joker's cards, I do think that right off the bat, you get an idea that they're sort of not commercial, right? Like let's, let's not be ridiculous, but, but there's, there's like a hooky thing going on here with the sure. Malinko. And then you get the, the kind of melody for like a better word that's going on behind it. So it does introduce, I mean, if there was, there was any ICP album that was going to be polished for public consumption, this is certainly that, that record. And Certainly right off the bat, you get a vibe for that. Agreed. And, and you get a vibe for the production too. I mean, the, the, even the ringmaster record a couple of years before this still pretty rough in terms of production. And um, definitely yeah. you, you still felt like you were hearing something fairly independent and fairly underground. You get the sense right away, even on that track two, that you're in for something that's been pretty richly produced, which you hear throughout the record. Let's get to track three. Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus Jocus. You hear it here uh, first, and, and you get this uh, theme really throughout the record of the uh, the Juggalo chorus, you know, and that's the sort of collection of voices. There's a lot of call and answer and that type of thing. I think it makes for kind of a nice sound on the record, honestly. It's something that's kind of reoccurring, and, you know, it sort of reminds you a little bit like typo negative, where you get the... Uh, the lesbian Benson host, uh, uh, chorus as they called it, which are sort of those voices. It's really just the band just kind of doing their 
sort of shouting, but I think it's kind of a nice sound that, that takes you thematically through a lot of different moments on the record. And again, you're sort of easing into it a little bit at this point and, and great Malenko and into Hocus Pocus, it doesn't jump into it too hard, which is probably a good thing. Cause it's a long haul. Um, but, but it kind of, you know, I think eases you into track three nicely. I, I like the track. I do too. I, I, it's a strong start to the album. And all the references to Malenko, it's just like captivating when you're 16. You know what I mean? It's just, oh, they're really saying something here. There's a theme that they're going for. Again, that concept, like it it can't be overlooked that this was like a concept album group. And, you know, how how prog is that, T? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I do think that there's, again, we talked about it a little bit when we were framing up the concept and the mission of this band, you can't always take it on its face. There's often something that's being projected that can be silly, that can be fun, that can be catchy, that can in some ways be comedy, but then you dig into it a layer or two further and you realize that there's actually some meaning there. And I don't think anything defines that quite, uh, uh, quite as strongly as the next track, uh, which is track four, piggy pie. So this was definitely the moment where it really shapes into a uh, sort of rap metal effort. And I think what you heard in the promotion of this and sort of the vibe that you got even before you were able to purchase the record was that it was going to go in a direction that's a little bit more edgy and aggressive less of kind of a novelty rap sort of feel to it and something that's actually quite musical. I love that chorus. I think that that distorted vocal is really neat. This song has, uh, you know, cue the uh, additional celebrity support, Steve Jones on the guitar uh, of the Sex Pistols fame. Now, <laughs> Violet J, it's kind of funny. He he actually didn't show up at the session where Steve Jones played the guitar. I guess, I don't know, he didn't really like know who he was or appreciate who he was. He kind of says that he wish he would have, uh, looking back, but <laughs> kind of interesting that he just sort of, he has this sort of good punk guitar legend playing on his track and he just sort of doesn't show up. It's kind of funny, very violent J like it sounds like yeah, um, it's typical. Yeah, yeah. 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 But obviously it's a, it's a story about the three little pigs, but, um, it's really, it's a sort of murder revenge story. Uh, where an incest-prone redneck, a judge who unjustly sentences people based on their looks, and then a stuck-up wealthy person are the victims of, uh, you know, of this big bad wolf version, almost like this, uh, you know, take out your enemies and enemies of society type of a thought. And again, it's like these guys, you know, certainly were edgy and and at times had you know, elements of their music that was, you know, provided some imagery around um, things that could be construed as violent. But in a lot of ways, they were actually going after things that you wouldn't really necessarily imagine. And in this case, you know, they're speaking out against a lot of problems that take place um, within the home. And that's definitely a, a theme throughout this record. 
of those that have, you know, domestic violence and some of those things. I mean, they're actually like speaking to some of these things, even though you don't really uh, think so at a glance. So again, beyond the veil of this kind of edgy, dark sort of rendition of Three Little Pigs, you actually have a little bit of, conceptually at least, a story where, you know, they're sort of taking out vengeance on people that actually do some pretty shitty things within the world. So, yeah, I think it connects to what we were saying earlier with the new metal connection. You know, it is 1996, 1997. This is like new metal, you know, pinnacle in a number of ways. I guess it, it did get pretty popular in the early 2000s, but I, I like the distorted vocal as well. I've always thought that vocal treatments with these two guys work really well. Again, that high slick production really works. You know, I, I don't think this album is, yeah. is I, I can only assume it's their most famous and best selling just because of the controversy of the release. I think it does have something to do with the fact that, you know, it's a slick 90s production. Everything's up front. Everything's really full. Remember kickers in your car? I remember like the back in the day, you don't really hear them anymore, but those speakers. Sure. The yeah. car with the big old bass. I mean, this they were often accompanied by spinners or neon yeah, lights. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cruising Main Street in Plymouth, right? Exactly. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, Piggy Pie sound terrific with uh through a set of kickers and spinners, you know. <laughs> exactly. Track five is how many times? So this one drags a bit. This is six and a half minutes and probably could very easily be three and a half. And you do get that a little bit at certain points of the record. And again, you know, 16 tracks, 67 minutes. There's no problem with length here. I think how many times has kind of a cool draggy sort of idea to it, but certainly doesn't need to be six minutes in 20 seconds, at least in my opinion. Takes you into track six, Southwest Voodoo. Again, you get the Juggalo chorus going here. Um, I think it's cool. I think this is the type of ICP song that probably a lot of their fans like, where you get a lot of that vocal dynamic going, a lot of that call and answer. You know, I think it's. Uh, it's not only a good track, but it certainly, you know, serves as a bit of a setup to the song that they used in the promotion. This was a song that they used in the national advertising to kind of get you hooked into the record and also get you hooked into the fact that this was a going to be a, a sort of a new direction for ICP. And that comes on track seven. Looking forward to talking about this one. Halls of Illusions. And even That is the great slash on the guitar. So again, you're uh, getting some nice participation from some blue chippers. Slash being no exception. And 
you get that, not only the good playing, but that great guitar tone from Slash Nubs. I'm going to turn this one over to you before I give my take on Halls of Illusions. A clear single, a clear attempt at connecting ICP to the mainstream. I remember always being a little disappointed with Slash's guitar work because I just expected maybe a little more shredding. And he's really just sort of like playing open chords, right? Or power chords or whatever. And um, it doesn't really sound like Slash. I remember thinking, wow, this like sort of could have been anybody, you know? Yeah. But it gave the track a lot of notoriety. I remember having lots of conversations amongst all of us of how cool it was that Slash was on an ICP song. And it's, it does have kind of a big stadium chorus, if you think about it. You know, that kind of call and response. This is all... Be- that, like, I remember you running around the hallways singing that quite a bit. Yeah, of course. You know, so it's... I, st- I still, I still run around the house singing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like an arena rock attempt. And I think it works from a composition standpoint. Is this one of the Legs Diamond tracks too yes absolutely yeah, yeah. you could tell i mean that oh, yeah. totally you know, all of the really guitar heavy songs he had a big hand on uh, in, in terms of composition it's probably him on guitar they just said it was slash you know <laughs> well apparently uh, slash uh didn't didn't even want he didn't want to get paid or care about getting paid for participating all he wanted is a few bottles of wild irish rose so Oh, um, really? You get, <laughs> you get what you pay. That's like a, an equivalent, I think, to like Mad Dog 5050 or like Boone's Farm. So, oh, wow. you know, sometimes in this life you get what you pay for, you know. And Slash, like not in the best place in the mid to late 1990s. Guns yeah, N' Roses is not exactly active during this time, you know. He's shocked if he recalls this session. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's a hell of a song, you know, and it's one that... uh it's an anti-child abuse and domestic abuse song, kind of, uh, you know, where, where the great Malenko is sort of showing the abusers sort of the consequences of their actions in the future, which actually makes me like it even more that the song has some actual kind of interesting meaning in sort of exploiting a topic that these guys tackled a lot, which was, you know, being very much against um, and, and wanting to bring more awareness in their own unique kind of strange way. Um, to domestic abuse, both against spouses and children. It's kind of neat that that's actually part of the theme here. So track eight is Under the Moon. It's a really interesting song. Obviously, it's pretty, uh, probably as, in in terms of emotional depth, probably as strong as these guys get. Um, It has a really interesting structure to it. It's kind of a verse, tease, chorus, verse, middle, then a long chorus out. And you see a lot of long chorus outs on the record, but there's, you know, cool layering and cool elements that sort of go along with it. It's an interesting story about, a man who got convicted after killing someone who tried to um, sexually assault his girlfriend. So again, you're, you know, you're getting into things here that are a little bit more than meet the eye in in terms of having some depth and having some meaning. And I think both musically and sort of vocally in the way it's performed, 
you know, it's clear that this is not, you know, just a song with a bunch of, you know, imagery based lyrics. It's actually something that has some, some feeling and some content to it. Track nine. This is a little bit of the mission statement, I think, for the ICP nation, which is what is a juggalo? Cause you're a stupid ass dumb fucking idiot What is a juggalo? He's a graduate He graduated from Well, at least he got a job He's not a dumb punch He works for himself scratching his nuts <laughs> What is a juggalo? So they have a, they, they have a lot of songs like this Where They're funny And they are quippy But in a lot of ways, they're kind of trying to explain what they stand for. This is like a state of the union for the juggalos here, right? And it's it's clever and it's will kind of make you giggle. But in a lot of ways, they're kind of explaining to you what they are. And it's not just these these two guys. It's the whole community, the whole juggalo, you know, sort of thing. And it's always kind of I think it's kind of cool when they do this because it again, through their music, they're kind of emphemically telling you what the community is all about. And it's a community that doesn't take itself too seriously, but seems to stand for things in a very interesting way, you know? And I think that songs like this are kind of cool ways to frame that up. Dude, I I love that assessment. I really do. I think it's, I think it's just a perfect capsule of not just this track, but the opportunities that ICP does take to explain themselves. You just can't understand, you know, how important it is to be a juggalo to those who are, unless you sort of see it or know one. And it, community, that is the word. And it is that sort of, it's like all of us that get into a certain type of music. It is that sort of, I'm an outcast and nobody understands me, but these people understand me. And everybody's kind of welcome and everybody has a place. I mean, it is, there is a charm to it. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like this proud, it's the deplorable thing. It's like this this pride around, you know, you call, you, you call me a deplorable. I'm proud to be that. I'm proud to be left to center. I'm proud to be part of something that, you know, cuts through the clutter and is blunt and is direct and, but, but also stands for something. It's, it's very fascinating. It really is. Well, let's keep it moving, buddy. Track 10, House of Horrors. And together we form Yeah, you know, so obviously when you have 16 tracks, you're going to have a few that sort of hit or miss or a few where you're like, mm, I mean, did we have to have that or, you know, whatever. But, you know, I think, again, this was the time period where you were loading up on content. House of Horrors is probably one of those that isn't as uh, memorable uh, as some of the others, but uh, you know, I think in any time you have 16 tracks, Nub, you're going to sort of run into that from time to time. Here's one. We'll see if you uh, found it to be memorable. Track 11, Boogie Woogie Woo. So again, things here, you know, with the the chorus and the sort of female vocal and these type of things happening that made them a little bit more hooky, a little bit more accessible, uh, a little bit more mainstream and a little bit more in this case, you know, 
major label. This next one, I you know, always <laughs> always kind of makes me laugh. It's uh, it's called the Nedden Game, and it's uh, it's sort of like a dating game concept, and I, I think it's like a legit hilarious song. So the Nedden Game. And only this time I did the forty twist chin. After your mom does the dishes and the silverware, I try fuck her till I nut in my underwear. Let's meet contestant number two. He's a psychopathic deranged. <laughs> it's actually really funny. So, you know, it's like this play on the dating game and like these guys talk about the stuff they're going to do. It's like outdoing <laughs> each other. Yeah, just outdoing each other with just wrong, hilarious. I mean, you know, who knows if uh, stuff like that. Again, the part of the reason this is like an interesting timepiece is like, who knows if people would even be able to get away with this sort of thing now you know oh, but, i think i know yeah <laughs> <laughs> but again the, you know part of the charm to all this is not taking any of it too seriously and you know and we've talked a lot about things and boy do we need more of that in our society today uh because everyone gets uh serious about everything this was back during a time where you could you know listen to something like this chuckle and then move on and not have to consider the uh you know perceived ramifications or anything and you know i think that that there are those moments that that maybe are seem a little outdated or maybe seem a little silly but actually you know in some ways nub kind of long for the days where you could just laugh about something being uh just silly and stupid and then move on with your life you know yeah i think it's well said and it's interesting icp has never gotten canceled but that's probably the advantage of yeah. staying relatively under the radar and just having this community. Again, there's so much vision behind this. They have so much support that it, it's not about sometimes like the, the quantity of your support in your loyalty. It's the quality of it. Yeah. You know, they're uncancelable because most juggalos, again, they don't take it seriously enough for anyone to be offended or yeah. triggered by anything, you know, it's just, it's a it, great point. Yeah. It's a great point. And, and I think that, you know, we, we mentioned an artist earlier, Kid Rock, who has, you know, become pretty outspoken about a lot of the things he believes in as well. And I would put him in the same category of being uncancelable. And I think that similar to ICP, when you get to the point where you're unapologetic, just truly, purely unapologetic, like, I don't care if I lose endorsements, if I lose my career, if I lose corporate back, I mean, sometimes, you know, it just takes good old fashioned, just being unapologetic for whether it's your art or whether it's what you stand for, whatever it may be. And I think that that's part of, and Kid Rock's probably in the same category, but I think that's part of the charm for these guys too, is you will never see Violent J, you know, making a YouTube video nub, apologizing for a past, uh, you know, either joke or quip or, uh, you know, something that could be uh, deemed uh, politically incorrect. I, I'm not sure about you. I just don't see that happening. You know, <laughs> it'd be great though. Puts on, yeah. Put on the clown makeup and do like a real serious apology for, <laughs> yeah. for, for the Nedden game back in 1997. Or exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I'm with you, man. And Kid Rock recently said that in an interview that he did, which was a great interview. He, he basically said like, bring it on. I'm uncancelable. Yeah. It was like, yeah. nice, you know? Well, yeah. There's some charm to that. There's For some sure. positivity to that. Track 13. Hallelujah. Howdy. 
people, that was the Lord today only. He will heal this boy for just five thousand dollars. You know, they were never afraid to take on the institution, or, or in this case, uh, the church. You know, and. Uh, Hallelujah is just, uh, I mean, it's a bit of a throwaway, I think, on the record as a whole, but, you know, obviously uh, sending a very sort of anti-establishment message, which obviously these guys were big on, and sometimes that took a direction of taking on the money hungry. You know, this was this was not too long after the televangelism movement and all those type of things that took place during the late 80s, early 90s, and those type of things. And I think, you know, they're sending a message, as they did many times, that, uh, that taking on and exploiting sometimes some of the uh, establishments that are in it for the wrong reasons. And in this case, in it for being a money hungry TV preacher type thing, you know, that's uh, obviously what they're trying to get across there. Here's another sort of mission statement, state of the union part two, that goes uh, probably hand in hand in a lot of ways with what is a juggalo. And that is down with the clown. Apparently, this is a real, like, fan favorite. You know, I mean, I think it's kind of okay. But, um, you know, again, these these uh, these songs and these pieces that these guys did that really, you know, talk about, uh, you know, what they stand for and what they're all about. Obviously, the, the, the uh, main intent for a lot of those type of songs, you know, what is a juggle and down with the clown, I think both accomplish that nicely here. All right. The final track, track 16, a very interesting one. There's a quick song before this. We won't necessarily spend time on it. It's called just like that. It's like a sort of little tee up, but uh, track 16 is certainly one of the more uh, intriguing parts of the album and, and, uh, and certainly a fitting closer to the great Malenko, the six minute, 40 second closer. Pass me by. And any chicken talking shit, let me tell you something. Hold the lighter to your balls, then you'll see what's coming. We all gon' die, but I'm not gon' fly. Even though most never try, I'm not gon' let these pass me by, no. We all gon' die, but I'm not gon' fly. Even though most never It's probably the most sort of well-put-together song on the record. I think it's a really cool closer you know it goes on a little too long in terms of the outro i think that could have been trimmed up by another you know minute or two and sort of tighten it up a little but obviously you know it's very hooky and very good and they wanted to sort of ride that out and have that take you to the end of this very long you know rather sort of epic i mean again we we went through all the tracks there isn't a lot of skits or a lot of filler or a lot of um theater here it's it's mostly music um, and I think that this is a, a really cool closing track nub. Um, I remember, you know, I used to sort of talk about how cool halls of illusions were. And I remember you would come back and say, yeah, but have you heard that last song? Like that last song is pretty sweet. You know? So do you still feel that way today? Nub, do you think pass me by closes up the great Malenko in good form? Yeah. I, I don't, I'm glad you remember that because I don't, I'm not sure in all of our musical time together. I don't think you understand how much I love this song. Yeah. This is probably a top 100 all-time song for me. Nice. I've listened to this, you know, frequently for years. I think this song is so deep. And, you know, and I, I, I did a little research on it a few years back because I was just like really curious about 
how it came to be. And the, the sample at the beginning of the preacher, mm-hmm. it's from this thing called the believer's heaven, which I think it was more like a televangelist sort of deal from the seventies. And the way that they time and legs diamond, I think it deserves a lot of credit for his role in this song. The way that the, the sample of the preacher is timed is just perfect. The hook, the musical hook is incredible. I mean, it's yeah. very deep stuff. And then, you know, the, the theme of the song is clearly a summation almost of the theme of the album and how it plays into, you know, the entire Joker's card story. I mean, you're, you know, the whole idea here is that if you don't get past Malenko, you don't experience like heaven, Shangri-La, right. I think as they refer to it. Right. And I mean, that's deep shit. Like this is like, it, it's kind of like what you talked about earlier when we went through what is a juggalo. I mean, it, it's funny. It's got some, you know, how can a song mean so much to me that says the word anus in the first <laughs> of five words, but you gotta, it's the signal of not the noise, right? You're looking at like, what is this song saying musically? Is it valid? And I, I, I think it's one of the best songs of the nineties. It's such an achievement. And I'm glad that they still play it live. Sometimes I know when they play it live, they play it last mm-hmm. and it just becomes this big, you know, celebration. Yeah. Everybody yeah. comes up on stage and Fago everywhere and everything. I would love to see them play this song, you know, but well, we will when we go to the gathering. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. They don't play it all the time, but when they do, I know it's, a, it's quite the event, but <laughs> yeah, this song, it's, it's very, uh, very important to me. I remember in the nineties when I was in high school wrestling with just a lot of different, you know, thoughts and ideas. There was a lightness to the song, obviously because of some of the humorous and kind of, you know, vulgar things going on in it. But the theme of it always really resonated. Yeah. And I, I just love it. I, I, I think, you know, I, I think it's a real achievement. I really do. I think Pass Me By is extremely important. It's a great point on signal and noise. You know, the, these guys, and I think that that's part of the, the thematically what we're talking about here this entire episode is that certain art forms, um, there's an at a glance sort of what it is. And then there's a, if you're at least willing to, and not to say that these guys are some like, you know, deep philosophical thing going on, but is there meaning here and is there depth here? Oh yeah. And some of the noise is humorous and it's catchy and quippy, but when you get past it, that that's what I think makes this whole listen just interesting is if you're willing to look a little bit further on it you find some interesting things. And I think pass me by to your point. And I'm glad to hear that it still holds up for you because definitely recall it being an important one to you then. And I'm glad that it's an important one to you now. All right, let's get to it here as we give our final assessment. Now that we've wrapped up 1997's the great Malenko nub, did it hold up? Do you think it mattered? You know, been a while since I listened to this top to bottom, they did a a record store day reissue of it in, uh, 2017 for the 20th anniversary. And that gave me a reason to kind of get back into it. But really for our purposes, it was the first time I'd listened to it top to bottom in, uh, you know, years. It really does hold up because of the production. Sounds fresh, you know, for a group that had 
been doing this for a while by the time they got to Malenko. I do think that major label kind of flair to it really helps. I think from a hip hop perspective, it's super unique. Their rhymes, their flow. Jay and, and Shaggy Two Dope, they, they really play off each other very well. Two different voices, but both strong, both effective. So yeah, I, I think it really does hold up. I don't think the rest of catalog does. You know, if you listen to some of the previous albums, you made the point earlier, they do sound a little, just a little kind of raw and a little garagey, you know, but Malenko is, is a legendary album for the music. It's not just for the controversy and the story behind it. It is for the music. And I do think it should be held up as one of the, you know, crowning hip hop albums, certainly of the nineties. Um, but hell, maybe even in the last 50 years. So what do you think? Do you think Green Malenko holds up? I think it held up great. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, obviously it's, you know, anytime you have a, a rap album with 16 tracks, you know, you're, you know, they're not all going to be gold standard. Right. But I thought it was a very, very enjoyable listen. And frankly, I don't even think back then I spent a lot of time going top to bottom on. I'm sure you didn't, you know, you sort of pick out your, your few spots and, and there are certainly plenty of good ones, but I enjoyed the top to bottom experience. And I certainly enjoyed kind of figuring out where this fit in the overall, you know, sort of catalog and overall sort of, you know, canvas of ICP's recording career. Um, and certainly within this, you know, these Joker cards and this being sort of in the midst of that. I mean, it's all, it's all a very interesting, fascinating thing to revisit. And when you listen to Great Malenko now, you get an idea for what the whole ICP experience is about, you know, and you're getting a lot of content that's interesting, depth that's interesting, music that's interesting. It sort of takes you back to the time period without sounding too outdated. I mean, the guitar work's cool. The, the rap metal sort of element is cool. And it's, it's not done in a sort of like, let's jump on the trend way. They're doing it their way. And Legs Diamond definitely deserves a lot of credit for kind of bringing them this unique sound at this unique time. But it's polished nicely. It's produced nicely. You know, if you want to learn anything about this unique duo that has found a way for multi-decades to be around, to be relevant, and to continue to have a really, really unique and loyal following... I think that this is always going to be the best place to start and finish. All right. Well, with that, let's do our final cut, buddy. Is this on the turntable? Is this in the collection? Is it collecting dust? Or are you taking the Malenko? Now be careful taking him to the for sale, but he might get back at you. You know, he's a little sneaky. He's a little, <laughs> yeah. he's a little wild, but where do you got it now on your final cut? I've got the gray Malenko in the collection. You know, like I said, I think it's quintessential nineties. It's an important hip hop album. ICP, you know, don't blink now, but I mean, they, they have been one of the longstanding hip hop groups of our lifetime and they should be respected for that. So I got it in the collection. It's got a few clunkers, just like every hip hop album does. I mean, you know, name me a hip hop album that truly top to bottom is just flawless. Yeah. Especially with 16 tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Very rare. But the high points are extremely high and it's got passed me by on it. So it's in the collection for sure. Where you got it to? Nice. I've got a collecting dust, but that, that was a tough call. I, I, I really was tempted to put it in the uh, collection, but you know, it's just a little bit long. And uh, you know, I think that by ICP standards, it's, it's a, it's a really cool album. It's certainly their strongest. Um, and it's a great way to get to know the band. I, I just don't feel like it's a must to own, but 
it's a timepiece. It's something that um, it was a really interesting time period, sort of post grunge and pre boy band, you know, this sort of Woodstock 99 and, and, and new metal and, and all that kind of time period. And there are a lot of interesting ways to sort of access the attitudes that were taking place at the time and sort of the tone and the vibe of the time. And, and I do think that great Malenko is a, a really interesting window into that very unique and very, um, controversial in hindsight time period. That has had some historical, I think, unfairness when you look at the way people kind of look back at, you know, some of the trends of the time musically and, you know, Woodstock 99 and all those type of things that happened that sort of really tarnished the late 90s. There were also moments that were very interesting transition musically into things that were a little bit more electronic, a little bit more metal based but still having some of those guitar elements and some of those things that this brings. So, you know, in 1997, it was a pretty uh, interesting sound and one that you really hadn't heard before from a rap group or, or certainly even from any, I think, rap metal type outfit. So I think it's a, it's a intriguing uh, album of the time. It's a, it's a collecting dust, uh, you know, type plus, I would say category for me, very close to being in the collection where you have it, but it's just a little bit long. I wish they could have, you know, maybe just, I think 60 minutes may have been plenty, but, uh, but loved, loved the revisit, loved the listen. And obviously very much enjoyed learning more about this group and more about why they are beloved and, and why they have this unique following and can't wait to go to that gathering of the juggalos with you, buddy. Let's see what is in your head. Let's go, Dolores. Bring, bring it on. Let's go. Come on, baby. Come on. Let's go. What's in your head, buddy? Sort of continues the theme of metal with one of my songs, at least. It's just one of them. But uh, Static X is cold. Very underrated band Static X. Second would be the song Sister Surround by the Soundtrack of Our Lives. Excellent song and one of those should have been hits from the early 2000s. And last, a song that I heard this week that I, every time I hear it, I'm like, I need to listen to this song more. And that is the title track off Trevor Rabin's solo album, I Can't Look Away. Well, actually, the album's called Can't Look Away and the song is called I can't look away very epic yeah. track from That's still title track we'll still, we'll still allow it I agree. Yeah. from uh yeah good stuff from mr rabin there t what is any yo head a lot of good things came out of that that young upstart trevor rabin didn't they um a song that uh always sort of you know eases me into the summer and uh listen uh it's not too early from my standpoint i think i think spring is upon us so i'll wait by van halen is uh just one of those like sort of spring getting you inching you more towards summer type jams, you know? So, uh, one of my favorite Van Halen songs there, some sort of later Jackson five stuff that I've been enjoying and, uh, title track off their album. Skywriter is uh, kind of a nice funky jam from J five. I, I sort of like their, some of their later work as they started to really feel the funk. And, uh, then on something a little in between, I guess this is post disco disco pop whatever you want to call it, KC and the Sunshine Band doing Give It Up. Great song. Great song from the early 80s. Nub, from KC and the Sunshine Band to ICP and everything in between. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, quite a leap there. I love it. For your, for your thoughts on the great Malenko. What, a, what an interesting, if nothing else, group and duo and an act that has uh, sustained over time. And I think they've done it 
through uh, substance in a lot of a lot of ways that uh, you don't always see at a glance. But when you know these opportunities to dig into a record like this sometimes uh, show you a thing or two about a group that you didn't know before. I enjoyed talking about it with you, buddy. Love the choice. Really, really, really strong choice to you. Get all the credit for that. And thoroughly enjoyed talking to you about it. We didn't see the episode name at the top. What what episode was this? Uh, 73. 73. Oh, right. 73. Yeah. So we're, we're inching towards that 75th episode. Yes, we are. Are we going to like do anything like interesting? We, we haven't done a Q&A in a while. We're kind of due for one of those. Do something interesting. Why start now? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well said. Thank you, buddy. And thank all of you. I know we've uh, sort of scaled back a little bit from the weekly to the now, what is it, bi-weekly? Every two weeks? Bi-monthly? Yeah, you know, bi-monthly. Yeah. 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 But uh, but we appreciate each and every one of you for uh, your patronage, for your interest in listening to bozos like us talk about records that you may know about you may not know about but in this case hopefully something that gave you a little bit of edumacation and insight that you may or may not have had before but remember there's a juggalo in all of us somewhere for some of us it's deeper than others you gotta really dig down and find it but i think we all have a little juggalo in us somewhere i know we do don't we know I have juggalo deep, deep inside of me. I, I don't think yours is too deep. I think we can find yours pretty easily, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure, man. Hey, thank you, everybody. That's a wrap on episode 73. And uh, listen, avoid the vid. I can tell you. It's, uh, you know, it's actually not that bad. It's just like a cold, but still try and avoid it if you can. Avoid the vid, Jimmy Dugan. That's good advice. And hopefully we'll have even more good advice for you as we see you next time for episode 74 here on Two Twins and an album. Y'all take care now. Two Twins Well, that's about it. That's all we have. I hope it wasn't too disappointing. We will see you on tour. Until then, take it easy.